He has a purpose in mind. God's words are the most effective, most efficient words that I know. He created the world, and, and, and in the creation, in the account of creation in Genesis 1, it says, Let there be light. <laughs> he didn't go, Let there be photocells which minister in this frequency, which have this type. He just said, let there be light. And it was. And in worship this morning, God was speaking and God was doing things and God was saying things. And when he speaks, he speaks very effectively. You look at all the miracles that he did. People came to him and says, my son is sick. Can you? My daughter is, is dying. And he says, go your way. She's healed. Another account, there's this blind man, and, and he um, comes to him, and, and Jesus actually sees the blind man and finds him, and he spits in the dirt, makes some mud, sticks it on his eyes, and he says, now go your way, clean, clean up, and you're healed. When God speaks, he's very effective. And this morning, I believe God was speaking. And as we go to the word this morning, I believe he's got some things to say this morning. I believe God's going to give you a vision and an expectation based on his words. Amen. Melanie, if you can come, if you could turn to Genesis 15. And Melanie will read the whole chapter. All right. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and out in them, cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your father and fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. 
On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jugosites, and the Jebusites. Amen. Can you pray for this word? Dear Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We pray that um, our hearts would be open up to receive your word and that we would listen to it and it would um, just get deep into our hearts, embedded in our hearts, and we would remember it all week and not just today. And I pray for Pastor David that you would just speak through him and um, whatever you want to be done here this morning, Lord, that you would just let that be. And yeah, we just pray that there be no distractions. And in your precious name, amen. 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 Boy, that, that last couple verses there, all those nations, that's a mouthful. If Pastor Nelson was reading, he, just, he said, boy, if I had a name like that, I'd change it to Nelson. <laughs> Have you ever heard him say that? <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about faith to believe for your promise. And I believe as we were worshiping this morning, God was reiterating and remembering and bringing to your remembrance. Some of you have a promise. Some of you have a desire deep inside of you that maybe you've thought was dead. Maybe you thought was impossible. And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about believing for the promise. Faith to believe for the promise. The first thing I want you to see is, is God, God's amazing God. Was Abraham perfect? Was Abraham like, was he perfect? No, he made a number of mistakes. He made the same mistake a couple times. His wife was so beautiful that when he went down into Egypt... He said to her, don't tell them you're my wife, because if, if you tell them you're my wife, they'll kill me so they can get you. Talking about a husband with an a, a identity crisis and self-security issues. I mean, honey, you're so beautiful, they'll kill, you, kill me so they can have you. He lied. And it's amazing when you read the story, God comes to Pharaoh and he says, don't you dare touch her. Then that same situation happens later on in another time. And he says again, she's my sister. He was not perfect. God spoke to Abraham 25 years. He gave them this promise. And in that 25 year spell... Abraham did some things that didn't line up or coincide with the word that God spoke to him. Did that neglect him and nullify him from God's promise? No. Has God said something to you? Two years ago, a year ago, five years ago. If you're as old as me, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Have you done things that maybe you would say don't line up with the word that God says? Does that mean that you are disqualified? 
No. So when God came to Abram, and I will say his name Abram or Abraham, and I'm, excuse me for that. In fact, actually, it's, it's really interesting. His name went from Abram to Abraham. God added an H and an A. Ha! Huh. Not only that, but he also said, ah! God, now that's in English. I know it, it, the, the, it was written in Hebrew, but I think God, God sometimes has this amazing sense of humor. And you want to see some neat things in the scripture, you start studying some of the, the numbers of the scripture. You start studying some of their names. And you think God doesn't realize? I mean, he took Jacob, who was a supplanter and a deceiver, somebody that we are taught not to trust. God took him, changed his name to Israel, which is Prince of God. So don't tell me that God can't take your situation and change it around and make you a child of God. In fact, we still carry the name Israel with us because it says we are now the new or the true Israel of God. We are now those who are princes with God. Think about that for a bit. When you accepted Christ, you became in the faith of Abraham. It says he's the father of faith. So he is now my great, 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 great grandpa. And he is the father of faith. And through Abraham, we had the children of Israel. And Israel means prince of God. When Jacob was wrestling with him, he says, you have prevailed with man and with God. That is part of my heritage. Someone who prevails with man and with God. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the promises that you have. In the first verse there, in Genesis 15 verse 1, God comes to him and he says, Don't be afraid, I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. He's talking to a guy who's fatherless. The word shield there, actually, it means buckler or shield. And they made shields back then, and they would make them about four feet tall. So from the ground to about mid-chest height, somewhere in this area. Four feet tall. And the shield was used, and it would be woven with wood. And then they would sometimes lay a layer of skin or leather on top of it, and then they would even put sometimes metal on it, and in the middle they would have metal, and it would actually, what it did was it would deflect. Think about this. God is talking to Abram, and he says, Abram, I am your shield and your great reward. I am in front of you. Think about this. And I take all the darts that the enemy has and I hold them and I deflect them and I nullify them. God is in front of you. When you accept Christ and when you become a child of God, he becomes your shield. David refers to him as my shield and my buckler. And what happens is we take him and he is now our shield in front of us. God goes before you. Isn't that nice? You know, when somebody's digging a hole and making a mess of things, I've heard the expression, I'll back you up till your nose bleeds. And then I'm going to run. 
God doesn't back you up. He goes in front of you. He goes beside you. He goes behind you. He, he like encompasses all around you. And here he's telling Abram, Abram, I am your shield. I go before you. If you take that word shield and you follow it through into the New Testament, you find out that it says in the Ephesians 6 that we are to take the shield of Anybody want to hazard a guess? Shield of faith. It's interesting. I just love how God does this. Abraham is the father of faith. God tells him, I'm your shield. You bring it through the cross and you see what Christ says. And Christ says, now I want you to take your shield of faith. Wherewith you'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The first thing I want you to see is... God comes, God is a good God. He didn't come to Abram and say, you're messing things up, man. How many times do I have to tell you? You're going to have a son, just let me take care of it. I don't know about you, but I would get frustrated if I gave somebody an instruction and 25 years later they're still struggling with it. He comes to him and he says, I'm going to be your shield and your great reward. Gideon, hiding in the wine press. I mean, he's freaking out. Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. When God speaks to you, he speaks how he sees. When God speaks to you, he speaks how he sees. He speaks what he sees. Jesus, my goodness, he had 12 misfits. He had one guy that just kept putting his foot in his mouth. Peter. You read the things that Peter does and Peter says. And how many times God and Jesus is correcting him. Jesus actually comes to Peter at the end. Near the end of his life. And, and, Peter, and Peter's making, Peter is in a, he's making these amazing statements. And Peter says... You're the Christ, you're the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, and and I'm going to tell you that that you're going to get to the point where people are going to take care of you and what you used to be able to do, now they're going to carry for you. And, uh, And Peter, God bless his heart, after he says that, turns around and he looks at John and he says, what about him? And Jesus goes, what's it to you? What I tell you is one thing and what I tell him... It doesn't matter if he lives till I come again. That's up to me. That's not up to you. Peter, I mean, what a, there's a disciple there that didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead till he actually saw him and put his hand on his side. Jesus was with them for three and a half years. I am amazed at how many times and how many things they struggled with and yet Jesus stuck with them. And we have the benefit of having Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which if you read each one of them would take you approximately two and a half hours to read each book. So you can read through the life of Christ in about two and a half hours. And if in the space of a week, you could read from four different perspectives. This was three and a half years and this was a life. And we can read about it in about a space of a, a, a week, 10 hours worth of reading. 
And if you're better than me, which probably you are, you could read it quicker. But in that space, sometimes we forget some of the events and some of the things happening. But his disciples, he had a brother, two brothers that got their mom to ask him if they would sit on his right hand and on his left. Have you ever been around people that are constantly asking you or doing, you know, expecting things from you or, or kind of butting in into your conversation? I mean, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's talking with, with the, um, Moses and, and Elijah, I believe it is. Is that correct, honey? And, and he says, hey, this is great. We should make three altars. God, God, the Father says, whoa. Here's my son, hear ye him. So these people, God speaks to them and he speaks to their future. But they got this life that lives between there that sometimes goes up and sometimes go down. Peter denied him three times. Right after he said, there's not a chance that that's going to happen. You're talking to Peter. There's no way I'm going to deny you. And the last person that speaks to him is this little girl. And she says, I think you're one of those. And he freaks out and he swears like a sailor. That's my own version. But have you ever experienced the highs? Have you experienced the lows? God is coming to Abram here and he's saying, Abram, I'm your shield and your great reward. I want to see, I want to show you a few things that, Jesus, or that God speaks to Abram about. And I want us to see our response. The first thing we see is Abram says, how will this happen seeing that I don't have a child? In verse 2. And I want you to see how God responds to him. He brings him outside in verse 5 and he says, look towards the heaven and count the stars and that will be your descendants. Abram was thinking child. God was thinking descendants. Abram was stuck with What God said would happen, God was already looking to the future and saying, this is the picture. I'm not just talking about your child. I'm talking about descendants. When God gives you a promise, sometimes we get stuck on the child part and he's already looking at the future and the, and the prosperity and the propensity of greatness that is there. Have you ever struggled with a word that God's given you? Sometimes he speaks to the descendants and we get mixed up thinking he's speaking about the child. Think about how God's speaking. When God's speaking, he's speaking from his viewpoint. And when he looked at Abraham, he knew Abraham had to have a son, but he saw descendants. Abraham was struggling with the child. Is there something in your life that you're struggling with saying, I believe God told me this would happen and we're struggling here. We're trying to make this happen and God sees all this. 
If you go to verse 6, it says, Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Faith is believing God. Faith is taking God at his word. Then he goes on and he, and he, he talks about a few other things. He, he goes to verse 7. And God says to him, I'm the one that took you out of the land of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. So God has an inheritance for Abraham. And I want us to see how God speaks. Because I think we often have conversations with God. I know I do. And I'm expecting something to happen. And it's not happening the way I'm expecting or what I believe or what I saw. So God takes Abram and he says, Abram, you're going to have, don't worry about this child. You're going to have descendants. Do you see how God works? Do you see how we sometimes, we, we work with child. Just give me a child. And God says, I've got descendants. Do you see that? Do you catch that? How God sees and how we see. And then he takes them and he says, I'm going to let you inherit this land. And Abraham says, how's that going to happen? How can that happen? And again, he's looking at inheriting the land and God's already looking at the land and says, it's there. When God speaks, he's speaking very economically. He speaks very effectively. He speaks very directly, clearly, and concisely. God is not vague. God is very clear in what he said. And he actually said, every place your foot treads, you're going to inherit. Abraham struggled with that one too. And I want you to see a couple things here. I wanted to bring this to your thought and to your your mind. When, When he spoke of inheritance, Abraham was speaking... Was, was looking at the inheritance, God already was looking at 400 years or four generations later. He was looking at this land and God was looking at possessing. He was looking at how am I going to do this and God already said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have four generations. They're going to be down in, Israel, uh, in Egypt. They're going to be in this land. And I'm going to bring them out. In fact, they're going to take possessions with them when they go out. Sometimes when we live a life of faith, we see this. And as Winona was sharing this morning, sometimes we get stuck in the bubble or in that fire or in that windstorm or in that whole cloud of confusion trying to understand something, and God saying, trust me, believe me, because I've got all this for you. And this morning, I'm I'm asking God to, to give you an insight into thought, into your heart and into your mind, that you will see the promises of God and how he speaks and how he thinks and how he operates. If you go down to verse 14. And this is 
God talking to Abram and he says, And the nation whom you serve, I will judge after they shall come out with great possessions. God's already figuring out what's going to happen. When God gives you a promise and God gives you a word, he already knows how it's going to work out. He says, I'm your shield and I'm your great reward. And he gives these words. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself stuck with Abraham. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I look at it and I get so caught up in the moment. I forget the one who created the moment. I got to be honest with you. I've got some crazy dreams. And if I look around me sometimes and look at myself, I think, is that even possible? I don't know about you, but I sometimes have these conversations with God. If you drove beside me, not in the same vehicle, but in beside me, you might actually see my mouth moving and no words coming out. Have you ever went beside somebody and they're having a conversation like on a phone or something, but you don't know, and they're just all animated? Sometimes I'm like that just with God. I don't need a cell phone. God may have given you thoughts. He may have given you words. He may have given you a vision. This was a vision and a dream that Abraham had. And in that vision and in that dream, he talks to him and he gives him this. And Abram has had several encounters with God and has had conversations about his progeny, his child, and his future, and everything, and many times. Sometimes God will speak to you and that, that word will come alive and, it will, and he'll come to you again and he'll give you another thought and he'll give you another vision, he'll give you a dream. And you're sitting here and you're going, I don't even understand how this is going to work. And God's already seeing not just that, but he sees the descendants. He sees the possessions. This is in the fourth generation, chapter, chapter 15, verse 16. In the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. He's looking at the promised land and he says, you know what? It's not quite ready for you. <laughs> There's promises for you that God is preparing for you and getting ready for you. And your job is to believe, to plant the seed. Plant the seed. Goes on. Abram's thinking, child. Abram's thinking, how can I inherit this? God's thinking, descendants. God's thinking possessions. God's thinking nations. Abraham's looking at the land and trying to figure out how he can inherit this. And God's already looking at the nations that he's going to conquer. Do you see how God looks and how God operates? God is expansive. God surpasses. God goes beyond what you ask or think. If you go down to the last verse 
Last couple of verses in, in verse 18, it says, And on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he talks about all the nations, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Abraham's looking at the land, God's looking at the nations. And this morning in worship, I was impressed to tell you to keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. If you go to Genesis 48, Israel... Jacob, whose name has been changed to Israel. And and the whole story of Joseph happens and, and Jacob thinks that his son is dead. And 10 of his brothers, not Benjamin, but the other 10 brothers had a plot and they brought back his coat of many colors and they gave it to his dad. And for something like 13 years, 17 years, Joseph was in Egypt. And you want to read something interesting. You read how Joseph conducted himself while he was in a bad situation. I mean, he gets sold into slavery and he does not walk around saying, woe is me, but he rises to the top. Then he rises to the top, Potiphar's house, and the wife of Potiphar tries to seduce him and he is such a man of integrity, he runs and he leaves. And she grabs his coat. Isn't it interesting? His coat again. And she says, look at him. He's made a spectacle of me. And he is thrown instantly from there into jail again. And there's these couple guys there and they have these dreams. The baker... And the butler, I think. I always think of it, the baker, the candlestick maker. But I think it's the baker and the butler. And they have these dreams. And one of them, Joseph says, you're going to, in three days or two days, you're going to go back and you're going to serve Pharaoh. And the other guy, he says, in three days, you're going to die. And it happens. And he tells the guy, remember me. The guy forgets about Joseph. For two years. Can you imagine being in jail? And you see your ticket walking out. You see your ticket to get out of jail walking away. And you're saying, he's going to be my ticket. And he forgets for two years. So Joseph has all this happening. In the meantime, Jacob... Israel has his son, his son from the wife that he wanted to marry first, Rachel, lost. Then they have famine, and Jacob sends his sons. He keeps Benjamin home, and he sends 10 of his sons to Egypt. And as the story goes on, Joseph 
recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He sends them back. He sends them back with food and he gives them their money back. They come back the second time. And he says, if you come back, you got to bring your brother because you're not going to get any more food. He comes back and at the end of the story, Jacob now is taken from that land into Egypt. And Jacob is at the end of his life and Joseph brings his two children to his dad. And Israel looks at them and I want you to see how he responded. If you go to chapter 48, I believe it's verse 11. Jacob, his son Joseph, was dead to him. He was dead. He was gone He was no more, and he had mourned him, and that's why he hung on to Benjamin, and he wouldn't let Benjamin go. Any of you have a dream that's dead? That if you literally were to look at it, you go, you know what, I think this is dead. Abram was 100 years old. Counted as dead. Sarah's womb was closed. Jacob looked at Joseph and he had pictures of him. The hieroglyphics on the wall. You know, painted with many colors. That's Joseph. He's my son, but I don't have him anymore. And he turns around and he gets to see Joseph and he gets to see his children. And I want you to see what he says in Genesis 48. In verse 10, it says, Now the eyes of Israel, talking about Jacob, were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought his two children near, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. I didn't think this would ever happen. I dreamed of the day where I get to see you again, but your brothers came back and told me that you were dead. I mourned over you and I buried you in my mind and I put you away. I'm speaking some faith to you this morning. There are some of you who have had that literally, that child. You've birthed something. You've seen something. You've put your energy into it. You've put your sweat into it. You've dressed it well and it's died and it's gone. People have said it's no more. And here's Jacob years later. He says, I didn't think that I'd get to see your face. He says, but in fact, God has shown me your offspring. God not only wants you to see your dream, your child. God wants you to see your descendants. God doesn't want you just to see the land. He wants you to see the nations. And this morning, I've been feeling it in my spirit the last few weeks. I can't explain it other than how I'm trying to share it, but I believe there's people here that have had dreams squashed. 
I believe there's people here who have had a dream, had a vision, were laying in bed literally and had this thing unfold in front of them. And they saw this amazing picture that God gave you, not man, that God gave you years ago. God spoke to me when I was six years old and said, David, I'm calling you to be a pastor. Doesn't have to be when you're 25 years old and logical. God can speak to you as a kid. And you had this dream as a child. You saw this picture. And now you are years removed from this. Life experiences removed from this. Hardships removed from this. Battles removed from this. Efforts removed from this. Memories even removed from this. And some of them counted as dead because of everything that's happened between then and here. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't just want you to see that promise. But he wants you to see the offspring. Amen? I don't know where any of you are. Or many of you are. I know where some of you are. I don't know where all of you are. But I'm here to tell you. If God has placed a dream in your heart. Then it's his dream. And it says that he who begun a good work in you. In Philippians is faithful to complete it. And I want to stir up your faith. I want to give you renewed faith this morning. I want to give you an expectation inside of you that looks at that dream. You might have even put it on your wall as a picture. You might actually have it sitting up in front of you with this picture. It's not over. It's not over. Jacob thought it was over. It's not over. Abraham thought it couldn't be done. It's not over. Time and time again, you see instances where God comes on the scene and the things that were dead are alive. So this morning, I want to give you courage. I want to give you faith to believe. I want to give you an expectation that the dream and the seed that God planted inside of you will bring forth a harvest. Does anybody here receive that? God is not dead. God is not dead. We sometimes struggle with the beginning. God already sees the end. If you want to write down a couple verses, I'm not going to go there. But Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Read that verse. Recite that verse. Because it also says in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's a rewarding God. And the other passage is in Romans four seventeen to 22. And he uses a couple things in there. One, he says, hope against hope. Hope 
in the Bible is a strong word. Hope today is a very weak sauce word. It's not a very strong word. Today, I hope the sun's going to be out. People buy a lottery ticket. I hope I'm going to win. But they have no expectation. I hope. But in the Bible, the word hope builds with it an expectation. It's not weak. But what it does is it looks at something that is not as if it is. And that is what the hope is built on. And this morning, you have things inside of you that you would literally count as dead. You'd literally count as finish. You'd literally count as gone. And I'm here to tell you to grab on to hope. And just like Jacob was changed and he said it prevailed against God and against man, with God and with man. Grab on to that hope. And say, I don't care if this is my lifeline, this is the last thing I do. I'm going to hang on to what God told me when I was a little kid. I'm going to hang on to what God told me three months ago. I'm going to hang on to what God said three years ago. I'm going to hang on for my family. I'm going to hang on for my children. I'm going to have hope against hope for my finances. I'm going to have hope against hope for healing my children, for healing myself. For seeing those lives affected. Hope against hope. And then also in Romans 4. 17 to 22. It says the phrase. That God gives life to the dead. And the things. Which are not. As though they are. Death is not an issue to God. I mean he conquered it. It's no big deal. He did it. It's like, I conquered it. So whatever you're facing, I'm here to tell you, God's conquered it. God has won over it. It's not dead. You might count it as dead. You might look at it as dead because that is the moment when you realize that and you accept that. That's the moment faith comes in. God comes in and you get to say, it's not me. It's God. I thought it was dead. I didn't think it would ever happen. But look what God has done. Amen? I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to have a few announcements and the offering. But I wanted this morning, I wanted to take a few minutes. I felt the Lord very strongly in worship. And I just wanted to to move forward through the worship. So I want to pray for you. If you have things in your life, dreams in your life, visions in your life that you believe God has given you, and I'm not going to be the one that questions it. That's between you and God. If you believe God gave it to you, that's good enough for me. Okay? If God gave you a vision, I want you to raise your hand, and I want to pray for you. If God has given you a vision, God has given you a dream, God has given you some picture and you just don't know for sure exactly how it's going to work out, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Because it's not dead. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I speak faith. I speak faith into everyone here this morning.
Lord, that we would have an expectation that goes beyond life itself. That we wouldn't put borders and parameters and expectations and limits on what you have to say, but that we would take what you say and we would use that as the expectation. And Lord, I pray for dreams here this morning. I pray for visions here this morning that they would be renewed. That just like you came and you spoke to Abraham on a number of occasions, that this would be a moment where you are speaking to the people again on a number of occasions and you are encouraging them and you are saying, don't give up. Your dream is about to be birthed. Don't stop. Your child who you thought was dead is alive. You will see your child and you will see your offspring. So Lord, I just speak that by faith to my brothers and my sisters this morning. And now as we prepare to give the offering, Lord, I pray by faith that we would put our expectation in you and that we come to honor you, to thank you, to respect you as the high priest of our lives. Lord, I pray for people that are looking for finances, Lord, that you would give them Creative ideas, inventive ideas, entrepreneurial ideas, groundbreaking ideas, thoughts that their competitors don't have and ways to see things happen. Give them the invention that somebody else was thinking should happen. Give it to them that they will come up with it and they will see it happen because you're an inventive, creative God. And Lord, I speak over the finances of everyone here. Whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, Lord, you see the assignments that you've put on their lives and I release the finances to see those assignments happen and accomplished and that there would be room enough to bless others. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. Amen.